All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really good to see you. Uh, I uh, didn't expect to see uh, too many first-time guests uh, on uh, this day. Uh, but uh, if you're joining us online, uh, I'm really glad you're uh, here. Um, we will be taking communion uh, after the sermon, so if you want, run and grab some elements, uh, and uh, you can join us at the end uh, for that time. Well, for those of you who are part of the Riverwood family, this will not be much of a surprise. But for most of my life, I have been a kid magnet. Now, I had never heard that term before until college when I had this girl I was really interested in and thankfully got to marry later. But uh, she described me as a kid magnet because we would be at our college church and all these kids would just be around me before or after. And I realized back in middle school, high school, I always was hanging out with the kids. Our youth group, we led a, a children's church for our kids. Like, I just like kids. And, and most kids like me. Uh, there have been a few that I've had to, it, it's taken some time to win over. But I've noticed that your precious gifts from God can turn into holy terrors with one word. Why? I, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You, you can say something super innocent, super simple. You walk into their bedroom in the morning and you say, well, good morning. It's time to wake up. Why? Well, because it's now daytime. Why? Well, because night's done and the sun has come up and this is the time that we get up. Why? Because you see, kid, the earth rotates around and the sun comes up. Why? Because that's how God made it. You understand. Now, even though our propensity for asking why kind of uh, goes away a little bit uh, uh, as we age, it doesn't entirely disappear. I, I think even in our old age, we still find ourselves at times asking why. Now, sometimes our why is like a two-year-old where there's true curiosity. But what I've noticed is that as, as we've gotten older, sometimes our why has a little edge of cynicism. We ask why about politics, policies. We sometimes ask why about our jobs or school, why we're asked to do certain things. We, we, we ask why in relationships. We, we kind of ask why in a number of areas. And I also have noticed that our inner two-year-old sometimes comes out and asks why concerning faith and spirituality. For example, when a church has the audacity to ask you to do 21 days of prayer and fasting, why would I do that? Because I kind of like my life. I kind of like my coffee, kind of like my shows. I kind of like these things. Why would I want to give some of that up for 21 days? Why would I want to engage in prayer? Because sometimes I don't think God hears me. I don't know what, exactly what to say. So why would I do that? And, and then when you find out like today, our sermon, the, the sermon title is Surrender to His Word. Why? Why would I want to surrender to God's Word? I think some of you, at least a handful of you, may be thinking, I, I don't want to. Because when I read it, every once in a while I come across something that, that's uncomfortable. It, it, it's like it pokes me and goes, yep, you're missing it here. You're, you're off. And, and I, I kind of don't like that feeling. So why would I want to surrender to it? I, I kind of just want to continue on with how I'm living. Others of us, sometimes we, we say, you know what? This thing is so ancient 
I don't see how it is able to speak into my modern life. Like, like the, the people who wrote this are, and the people who read it, they, they had a totally different approach, right? To sexuality, to, to gender, to, to relationships. I, I mean, how in the world is this ancient book supposed to inform me on use of AI, on, on, on the effects of the smartphone, on whether or not you know, electric vehicles are truly the right next step in our transportation evolution. Like, like, like we, <laughs> Matt Tasley chiming in. But, but we sit there and, and we, we wonder, how are we supposed to let this ancient book speak into our modern lives? Because these were entirely different people back then. We faced very different issues. So why in the world would I surrender to God's word? Well, this will come as no surprise to you, but I do not believe the Bible is out of touch with our modern lives. Because first of all, I believe it is a supernatural book. It isn't just written by human authors. It is written by a divine God who wrote through human authors. And God, as the creator of humanity, was able to write something that spoke to those people long ago as well as to us today. Because when you think about it, you realize that the people back then struggled with their emotions, had relationship issues, struggled with areas of sex, gender. It, it turns out that they may have been very, very different than us in, in culture and time, but they're really not that different from us after all. And, and so when we're encouraged to surrender to God's word, it wasn't just something for them back then, it's something for us now. Today in the book of James, I believe the author is going to explain to us four reasons why we need to surrender to God's word. So if you brought a Bible, open it up to James chapter 1. James 1. Uh, if you are, uh, don't have a Bible or you're joining us online, we'll be putting almost all of the scripture on screen. I just really encourage you guys to get a Bible in hand. So if you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to use that. Uh, I, I really believe that your learning will be enhanced when you have your own scripture, but I, I don't want you to just only hear it. I want you to see it, so that's why we'll have it on the screen. Uh, as we get ready to read from James chapter 1, today we're going to be do first doing verses 16 through 25. So as we get ready to read that, let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, I've spent time uh, this week uh, preparing this sermon, and yet I realize that, that ultimately this isn't about what I want to say. This is about what you need to say to us. And so, Father, I pray that we would not just engage with my words today, but that we would engage with your timeless words, because when this sermon is done, these words that I say will fade off and, and be forgotten. But I believe that your words are, will, will always be there. And so, Lord, help us to hold on to these things today, to hear clearly why we need to surrender to you, to your word, because I believe that it will be for our best. So, Father, communicate that very, very clearly. Uh, please go beyond my weaknesses to say what you need to say to each heart and each mind that's connected, whether they're in person or online or listening to a podcast later. Use this for your glory and our growth. In Jesus' name we pray for it. Amen. All right, so join me at James chapter 1, starting at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Today, as I said, I believe that James, the brother of Jesus, gives us four reasons why we should surrender to God's word. Now, if you are a fill-in-the-blank type of person, uh, you, want, you want to grab your hand out and take notes, because for the second week in a row, I've actually supplied you with an outline, no guarantees for next week. Uh, but note-takers rejoice uh, that I uh, got it done uh, this week. The first uh, reason that James gives us for why we should surrender to God's word is because he gave us his unchanging word. That God gave us his unchanging word. If your Bible's still open there, look back at verse 16. You'll notice that James starts it off with these words. Do not be deceived. In other words, do not be like Adam and Eve who were deceived into thinking that God was withholding something good from them. Rather, realize, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift is from God. God is a giving God. He is a generous God. Now, I realize there are times where it does not feel like he's very generous. Like when Miami, Florida gets 70 degrees today, and we're stuck with this, yeah, I I realize it kind of feels like he's not being very fair. And yet, we have air to breathe. Gravity is still working. Sun came up. If you have a job, if you have people in your life who know you, love you, care for you, you have so many things in your life. Even if things are really, really, really rough right now, if you stop and genuinely look, you will be able to see God has given you good things. I realize there are times where it doesn't feel that way, where it feels like he's withholding something good, or or maybe he's allowed something in that sure doesn't feel good and perfect. But uh, if you're doing our devotionals, uh, Olivia Perrin on January 3rd uh, gave a quote from Tim Keller. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but the, the gist of it was that if you knew exactly what God knew, you would understand exactly why God gave you what he gave you. Because if you knew what he knew, you would have done the exact same thing because you would know that's right. That's good. That's perfect. And what James is wanting us to see is that one of the goodest, one of the perfectest gifts 
that God has given us is his word. Now, you, you notice there, those of you who are uh, filling in the blanks, you noticed I, I put an adjective there, that it is God's unchanging word. But uh, yet, as you read through there, that adjective is not attached to the word word in the text. So why am I throwing that adjective on that word? Well, it, can, it comes from the rest of verse 17. You notice that these good and perfect gifts are from above. They're coming down from the Father of lights. Now, yes, this is referring to God creating light. And yet, we know from Scripture that God is light. Jesus is called the light of the world. In Revelation 21, it is the glory of God that will light heaven. There will be no need for a sun because God's glory will shine. Jesus, in, in Revelation 21, the Lamb of God is called the lamp of heaven. So, so, yes, this is saying that God created these lights, but he is light. But he is not like a candle that flickers. He is not like the sun that sets. He's not like the stars that twinkle. He's not even like a flashlight that begins to go dim as the batteries die. He is a constant, continual, unchanging light. The author of Hebrews in 13, verse 8, he describes Jesus as being the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the most consistent being you will ever encounter. I mean, right now, you can think of the most even-keel person that you know, and yet they still look like a roller coaster compared to the, the character of God. He is unchanging. And if this father of lights is unchanging in himself, then his word that he gives us, it will be unchanging as well. It isn't just for them back then, and now it's different for us, and it changes. No, these truths that impacted human hearts then impact human hearts now. So why should you surrender to God's word? Because he gave it to you as a good and perfect gift, and it is an unchanging word, something that you can rely upon. The second reason that James gives us for why we should surrender to God's word is that he birthed us by his truthful word. He birthed us by his truthful word. Look there at verse 18, the first half of it. That of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of God. Truth. Now, I am using the ESV, the English Standard Version, as I do almost every Sunday when I teach. And, and the reason I tend to use it is because of the, the translators had more of a word-for-word -word type of approach, which means that every once in a while it's a little clunkier in its rendering, which I sensed back up in verse uh, uh, like 25 uh, when we get there. You'll see it's just a little clunkier. Some of you are using different translations, and it's going to read a little smoother. But the differing uh, viewpoints are a word-for-word -word type of translation, like ESV, even though it's not truly word-for-word. -word. But that, that's what they've gone for, versus a thought-for-thought, -thought, where they try to understand the thought of the original authors and, and translate that accurately so that we can capture the, the meaning behind it. There, there's pros and cons to both. I use thought-for-thought -thought translations in my study each week, and yet I teach from the ESV most week. But with that said, I think the ESV missed it just a little bit. 
Now, I, I think I understand why the translators did what they did. And also, you've got to take this with a huge grain of salt, because I am not a linguist. I don't know the original languages. And so they probably had brilliant reasons for why they translated it the way they did. But what I noticed in my study this week, that only the ESV, the New American Standard, and the New King James translate it the way we see it here, that he brought us forth. But the Greek word here can mean brought forth, but it can also mean birthed. James throughout this little section, when you put it in context, you see this whole language of birthing. Go back up to verse 15. What you see there is he says that then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So he's using this concept of reproduction And he's saying like, you know, sorry for being a little graphic here, but like when the the sperm of, you know, a desire meets with the egg of of desire, something is conceived and that begins to grow within you and it gives birth to sin. But then he says that when that sin is fully grown, it, the ESV again has brings forth death, but other translations have gives birth to death. Now, in defense of the ESV, they are consistent In verse 15, where it says brings forth, it's the exact same word that is used down here in 18. But it is a synonym to the other word that it's used earlier in 15 of giving birth to sin. They're interchangeable. And I think James is is keeping this idea because, I mean, after all, James's brother, Jesus, the Messiah, in John chapter 3, had a conversation with Nicodemus. And when Nicodemus, this rabbi, comes and asks these questions of him at night in secret— Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. No one can come into the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. When Nicodemus heard that, he thought, wait a second, I've got to crawl back into my mom's womb? And she's like, no, you're, you're born of water, meaning you're born physically, but you also must be born of spirit. There is to be a spiritual birth. You are birthed through God's word. That is, I think, what James is bringing out here. So yes, you are brought forth, but, but I like the idea, the imagery, that you are birthed by God's word. And notice how it's described. It is the word of truth. This is a truthful word. The truth is able to free you, to, to, to bring you out. Truth is amazing. Truth is reliable. Truth is needed. And this is what helps to bring you out, to give you birth. But I also like this idea of of drawing out that idea of being birthed by his word, because just as a child is to obey the ones who birth them, if God then is our heavenly father who has birthed us through his word, we are to surrender and to obey to him. So we are to obey God, surrender to his word, because he has birthed us with his truthful word. Our third reason today for why we should uh, surrender to God's word is because he implanted us with his saving word. He implanted us with his saving word. You ever met someone who's just like uber talented? I mean, you you see them in their sport or uh, in their art, their music, their their intellect, and you're just, you're wowed. Like it's so impressive. But then you find out that their mom and dad had that exact same talent. And it's almost like you go, oh, that's why they're so good at this. 
Now, now it doesn't mean you, you think less of their talent. I mean, you could still be in awe of it, but it's like it just gives an, an explanation, a reasoning. You kind of like understand that, oh, that's why they're so good at it, because they had a genetic advantage over me, because my parents did not have that, and, and so this helps me to understand and make sense, because it's like that talent was implanted in them in the beginning. That's kind of what James is going at here in verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Excuse me. In other words, what he's kind of saying to us is that we, we need to stop being so selfish. We need to stop making this life about ourselves. We need to stop this filthiness, this rampant wickedness, and instead receive this implanted word. That if you have been birthed by God, he's implanted this within you. It's like James is shifting away from the uh, birthing room of the hospital to the uh, field out of the farm. That, that your life is soil and God has implanted this seed in you. And that implanted word is able to save your soul. I, I think the human condition knows our souls need saved. I, I think our souls are broken. They're hurting. And, and that's why we see people trying to save themselves. Many try to save themselves through their achievements, through their reputation. For some, it, it's through power, influence. For some, it's, it's through money or possessions. Some of us, we, we're trying to mend the brokenness through escapism and into entertainment or, or, or substances addictions, relationships, sex. We, we use all of these things to try to save our souls. But it's like James is warning us. Like, but no, those things, some of those are good, but when those things become ultimate, it becomes a bad seed. And this bad seed is going to reap a bad harvest, and it is going to slowly crush you and kill you and possibly harm those around you. Instead, we are to humbly, meekly receive the implanted word. Let God place his righteous seed in us and let it grow something beautiful. You see, when James uses this word, word, I don't think he is just referring to the word of God. I, I think to him, it's so much more than that. I think the word is the gospel. It's this crazy story of Jesus taking on human flesh, living a sinless life, but going to the cross to die in the sinner's place. That means that this word is also salvation. This is what is able to save our souls. I think this word is Jesus. So yes, the word was spoken by the Spirit through human authors, but it is embodied by Christ. And if we are going to be Jesus followers, we are to be like Christ and we are to let this word be implanted in us so that we embody it as well. So why? Should we surrender to God's word? Because he implanted his saving word in us. But then I want you to notice the fourth thing. The fourth thing is that he calls us to do his life-changing word. That God calls us to do his life-changing word. Join me uh, at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Back in the late 90s, uh, about the turn of the century, uh, Leanne and I were living in Denver, Colorado, where I was working as the worship director for a small little church plant. The church could only afford to pay me a part-time salary, so I uh, had picked up other part-time jobs here and there, one of which was flower delivery boy. It was actually a pretty good gig because I got to drive around the, the Parker, Colorado area and make people happy. Well, this is pre-cell phone, pre-GPS days, and, and so uh, I had to map out my route every time. So I would get the list, and I'd have to figure out where I was going, so I'm using a paper map, and Denver was exploding at that time, especially Parker, where we lived, and, and they were having to put out new maps every six months, and even then, they were out of date within two, three months. And so I'm doing my best to plan my route, and I remember one day, I'm, I'm at the back table, I'm planning my route, I think I have all the flowers on the van, and in the store is our manager, she's at the counter helping a customer, an associate, who I, I think was over to my left, and then our flower designer, uh, our, our uh, flower arranger. She was incredible. She was uber talented. Uh, she had a chemistry degree, uh, and yet she could make flower arrangements that looked better than what you saw in the magazines. And she was from Russia. She was really cool. Anyway, our manager's up at the front helping the uh, customer. And as soon as the customer, they, they finish up the whatever, the guy put, places his order, he walks out the door, and as soon as the bell dings and the door shuts, our manager goes, oh, that was disgusting. We kind of stopped, like, what? And I think it was the associate who said, what, did he have, like, really, really bad BO? She goes, no, he had a flapper. And our Russian designer, in her heavily Russian accent, says, what does flapper it's a booger in your nose that flaps as you breathe in and out. Oh, it was so disgusting. And then she looks at us <laughs> and says, if you ever see me with a flapper and you don't tell me and I find out that you knew, you are fired. <laughs> now I want you to imagine that you are the customer. You're the one with the flapper. You have just disgusted my manager. Now I want you to imagine that before you walked into the store, you pulled up in your car, and you decided just to do a face check. You dropped the sun visor, you're looking in, making sure you don't have something in your teeth, you know, no big zits, and you see the flapper. And you're thinking, oh, I gotta, I gotta deal with that. that that's disgusting. I, I, I don't want to offend a manager inside. So you begin to reach for a Kleenex, but as you reach for the Kleenex, you, you flip the visor up because you're done with it. But as soon as you flip the visor up and the mirror is gone, you instantly forget. And you get out of the car and you walk inside. And yet that is exactly what we do with God's word. How often do we peer into the mirror of Colossians 3.9, which tells us, do not lie to one another. And yet how many Sundays do we come here and when people say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. When really we're not. How many of us peer into the mirror of Philippians 2.14, which says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And yet we haven't even made that one through this morning, already complaining about our weather. How many of us look into the mirror of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, when he says to not even look at another person with sexual lust? 
And yet some of us, we won't even make it through this day without breaking that one. Or how many of us, we read in Ephesians 4.31, says to put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, and more. And yet we are still holding on to the bitterness of that betrayal from years ago. We are still angry over the childishness of our kids from this morning. We still have rage over that athlete who made the mistake that cost our team the game. We look into the mirror of God's word and then we just go about our life showing James that we are hearers and not doers. Now, if I was a hellfire and brimstone type of preacher, if I, I, I was a, on a, a legalism or a moralism uh, track, I'd start yelling, I'd start pointing, I'd start stomping, telling you do better, be better, or God's going to send you to hell. But I noticed that is not what James does. He takes the opposite track. Rather than trying to warn us about a, a vengeful deity who's just looking for an excuse to throw us into some sort of fire, instead, at the end, he says that the person who does these things, he will be blessed in his doing. It's like he wants what's best for us. So he isn't trying to shame us. Rather, he's trying to free us. Did you hear there in, in 25 that when you look into this perfect law, the law of liberty, this is about freedom. God does not want you shackled to your shame. He does not want you imprisoned in lies. He does not want you trapped in a cage of anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. He wants to free you because he loves you. This is why Jesus came. He came to not just give you the word, but to be the word. He came so that you might be birthed spiritually. He came to implant that life-changing word in you. And that is why he now calls you to do the word because this will be for your good. And you realize that when you begin to do this word, you receive the blessing that you begin to act like the one who embodied the word. You begin to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. I realize it's hard. There are times where you, you've been doing this for so long, it's become a pattern. But God wants you unstuck. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you fellow believers. He's given you his word. He's given you himself. So lean into him. Lean into one another. Let him begin to change you from the inside out. May you be that living sacrifice that we read about in Romans 12. May you crawl onto that altar and let God kill off that which is not making you who God calls you to be and who you want to be. It's hard. It's long. It can be slow. But it's worth it.
So why should you surrender to God's word? Because he gave you his unchanging word. He birthed you through his truthful word. He implanted you with his saving word. And he calls you to do his life-changing word. So Heavenly Father, I realize that uh, I can only do so much. That this next step is you and your spirit and these people who are listening. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my whole church family that we would not just be hearers of this word, who hear it on Sunday, who hear it in growth group, who even hear it in the morning when we read our Bible, but that we would be people who would actually do it, that we would live out this word that has given us birth in Christ, that has been implanted in us to change us and save us. God, I believe you want to do tremendous things in this world through us, but to do that, I think you want to do this deep work in us. And so that is why we continue to surrender. Help us this week, Father, in this last week of these 21 days to continue to surrender to all of you, to give every area. Lord, some of us, we've been giving up areas to you. We've, we've set some things aside. We, we've let you crash in. For some of us, this has been good. This has been freeing. We've seen you do some remarkable things. But for some of us, we're tired. and We're kind of ready to go back to how we were. God, would you give us the strength to continue this week to give everything to you because you desire so much more for us than we probably even realize and you are able to do far more than we could ever dream. So Father, through your spirit, give us the strength today, this week, this year, and this life to be the people you call us to be because you have given us birth Help us, Father, to obey you, our Heavenly Father. You have implanted this word in us. May you grow something great through us. And you call us to do your word. Help us to be these kind of people. Lord, some of us readily admit, though, that we fall short, not just every week. We fall short every day. And that's why I'm so grateful for your forgiveness that you don't judge us based on our worst moments. You see us through the cross and you see our sin is forgiven. Help us, Father, to live in that place. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here in person or is online or or maybe listening to a podcast because someone sent this to them and they're realizing that they need you. Father, I pray that right now you would hear their prayer as they surrender their life to you realizing, recognizing, confessing that Jesus died on a cross for their sin and they're wanting to give it all to you. Lord, for my brother and sister in Christ who know these things mentally, they've been hearers of the word for quite a while and yet they just haven't been doing it. They've been running to what seems easy. They're running to what they know. They run to what feels good for the moment and yet some of these things, while good We've made them ultimate things. We've made them primary things. We've put them on the throne of our life instead of letting you take that rightful throne. And we are right now beginning and slowly reaping these harvests that are not for our good. Heavenly Father, would you lovingly rip those things out of our lives? Do what you need to do, God, to help us be the people you call us to be. 
Father, we know it could be painful. And yet I believe you have something way, way, way better for us. So Father, please provide us with freedom. Provide us with hope. Provide us with joy. Provide us with peace. Because your word, which has birthed us and has been implanted in us, it is changing us so that we can live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.